Welcome to the Space Cave. I'm David Hunsberger, a big warg to all of you. And if you haven't seen it yet, Big Nothingness is on YouTube as well as Vimeo. You can get to both options from davidhunsberger.com if you enjoy stand-up comedy. If you don't need visuals, you can listen to a bunch of stand-up I've made over the years anywhere you get stand-up comedy. Let's get right into it. Part 2 with Lee Bruns. Starts in a moment. Oh, faked you out. Uh, don't forget there's a Patreon. Thanks to Hotter Water. Send him his poster. Finally, it's taking me a while to ship things. I apologize. Uh, it has nothing to do with the holidays, just the state of affairs in life. So I'm doing my best to get to the post office when I can, but the hours don't necessarily sync up all the time. I will get there, though. If you'd like to treat yourself or someone you know, a space burger in your life, to some space cave memorabilia... There are posters available at thespacecave.com, and uh, maybe I'll make a new one this year. We'll see. But for now, they're the original options of the cave, the astronaut, the beer glass with the universe in it, all hand-drawn and screen-printed by me. Okay, now let's get to part two, and it gets a little emotional. I'm just going to warn you. I think I left part one prefacing that. I'll reiterate again. And then not so much. Like, you've you've seen movies, for heaven's sake. You've seen characters go through emotional journeys. I don't know that this one will even stand out to you as being so much so that, but it's a real person. It's a human being in our lives, and I can't help but think that you'll end up caring about him. So if you want to reach out, it's Mr. Lee Bruns on Twitter. Wouldn't hurt to drop him a line and say, hey, you're, you're a nice fellow. Thanks for doing the show. Pick his day right up. But I appreciate that he was on this show. So anyway, here's part two. <laughs> okay, you're showing me that I, we, and I'm not on Facebook very often. Uh, it seems like whenever I am, I see a, a Lee Bruns thing and it's always like, I 3D printed this or I found this thing and it's it's from this or this motorcycle. And now you're showing me like a, a soy sauce bowl that you 3D printed from AB. And I don't know what ABS refers to other than anti-lock braking system. Filament. Okay. It's, you know, it's, an, it's a type of filament for 3D printers and bodywork of motorcycles and bodywork for cars for external bodywork is usually made out of ABS. If you're going to work it, ABS works great. If you're just making little figurines, then a PLA is a fantastic filament for 3D printing. I just got into 3D printing a little over a year ago, and I'm just having a ball making different stuff. Have <laughs> I just love that your your brain's always doing something, thinking of something, solving a problem, um, and doing it in a very helpful way. I, I think a lot of times maybe people could get these sort of hobbies and get lost in them as sort of an escapism. They seem like at once they both drive you and also are just kind of like, eh, it's just a thing for fun. Yeah, I I don't know. I I uh 
I wasn't socially accepted as a child. Uh, I don't know. I, you know, you can, I can analyze it and go back what, what spurred this, but I was always, my whole life is very curious, not just what, but why and how. And, you know, there's, there's a thing. Oh, that's a thing. Can I take it apart? I want to see how it works. And uh, the joy, and it wasn't ever just taking it apart. The joy was in putting it back together and, you know, understanding how it does and why it does what it does. Have you read uh, Surely You Must Be Joking, Mr. Feynman? No. You'd love it. It's uh, Richard Feynman, the physicist. It's his book on just his life, little anecdotes and stories. I'll send you a link because I, I think what you just said is exactly what drove him. And then getting into like having a mind that was maybe more on the... I think he was a very practical... I think he was hands-on, but as he got older, it got more into like the theoretical physics of things and the math of things. And so like we were talking about metal, you and I might look at it and go, oh yeah, heating up in an oven makes so much sense because like a pan that you take out off the stove and put under cold water, you're doing that in reverse. If you're welding something that starts kind of cold and you're adding a ton of heat, you'll you'll warp it or you'll, um, you know, you're not going to be dealing, there's too big of a difference in the temperature change. But he might look at that and say, wait a second, what causes those electrons to behave the way they do? How about the, and then start working through some math or trying to apply some practical applications in, in a laboratory. And that's, you know, that's to me like the highest level that humans can do where we've a CERN particle accelerator. We can say, I have a theory as to how these things might behave. I have no theories. If you took me there, I would just watch. I would have, hey, why don't you throw some boron in there and see what, I have no theories because <laughs> I'm not, thinking about what those tiny things might do. However, with wood or something like that, if someone were to say, hey, we have this uh, compression machine, I'd be like, ooh, can I put this board in there? I'm so curious like how much compression pressure it'll take before it just explodes. So yeah. I think we're all kind of working maybe a little bit that way, but you do it in a way where you can see it with your hands, 3D printing, machining, all that. And I, and I say that well, like with the motorcycles that go by and they, they talk to me and it sounds weird and, and self-absorbed and arrogant to say the machines are talking to me. But I'm hearing all the process of what this engine's doing and I'm visualizing what the exhaust is doing and what the intake is doing and the purpose of the factory air cleaner assembly that they may or may not have modified. and. And I try to understand what the how the exhaust stream and the cam timing, the ignition timing, and to hear something not running well, and you can just hear it, hear that it's not happy, and and try to wrap my brain around. But but why? But why isn't it happy? And how can we make it happy? <laughs> make it run its best. <laughs> I think to some degree, if I were to quietly hear a bunch of people. So I'd be at like, you know, events, horse related things. I could probably hear someone going by and know if they had their act together based. I can hear some of their tack jingling along. I can hear like the speed at which the horse walks. I can kind of tell how the horse is just moving its head as it walks just by hearing. But I don't know that I would be like, oh, come on, get off. the Jesus, let it be. But there's a feel that you can get. You can just get a sense that like an anxious person is riding that horse that's going by. Just the whole energy that's coming by me, I can feel it. That's a, just a prancy kind of nervous horse. 
and or the opposite. Man, there's a horse. I'll bet there's an old person coming by. And you turn back and there's, sure enough, a horse just kind <laughs> of, hey, how's it going? You know, the, I, I don't think it's crazy to think that hearing would have those little specific things, those little minor. So to that end, could you hear someone ride by on a motorcycle and would you turn and go, friend, she sounds beautiful. Right. You know, and the, how are they hitting the shift points? Um, when the light turns green, are they paddle footing their feet or is their feet up before the bike's actually moving? And the, so there's a bunch of visual cues that are going to tell you a lot about what you're seeing there too. Um, how someone in a car chooses to go around a corner you know, you can say, Oh, that's, that's someone that definitely has a, a talent towards, um, towards riding. I just did a thing with um, one of the drag queens from um, RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, and the drag queen's name was Shangela. And she was on a XS650 Yamaha. And she was the only drag queen who wanted to hear the motorcycles run. And I fired one of them up for and let them rev the throttle a bit. And like, this person gets it. So <laughs> if down the road I saw um, Shangela um, Wadley, the drag queen, riding a motorcycle, it'd make perfect sense. This was the other two drag queens, eh, no, they weren't so interested in it. But Shangela really wanted to ride motorcycle. And I don't know if they'd ever stopped and thought about whether or not they were the type of person pre-wired to be a rider. And absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to be exposed to those things. I mean, there could be a thing, some sort of weird, no, I don't say weird, some sort of uh, unknown hobby or exercise to us where there's a thatched or woven handmade kayak that you ride a certain way out into flat water and you spear fish. And you and I might do that and go, well, I want to do this the rest of my life. I can't believe I'm only learning of this now. And luckily kids go to petting zoos or they go see various things, but you know, whether it's go-karts or whatever humans get exposed to, you never know what's going to click and make someone be like, that's my thing. And going back to you being a little kid and saying like you weren't immediately ingratiated into society, I think as a, as a, a kind of a, a broad, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? ineffectual and or just like dismissive kind of ignorant way you could say oh well you probably just grew up in a small town and we've for whatever reason associated small town life with being kind of simple and you know a lot of times just (laughs) kind of driven by things like religion don't use your brain don't think outside of that it's that way for a reason it's this way because so and so made it this person this entity made it that way. Don't question it. Maybe that could be. I, I think that's a little broad, but you you, if you worked on a, on a show called We're Here that's very uh, inclusive of the LGBTQ community, and yet you live in Watertown, South Dakota. It's not like this, this show was made purely in San Francisco or someplace that we associate with that world. So your knowledge of things, the things you do, brought this to you where someone in a big city can say, oh, okay, buddy, you're a machine shop guy. I know you. You you would have no business with we're here. And you'd say, oh, funny, look in the credits. I did the motorcycles. <laughs> I was, not only, yeah. I, not only did I, I'm familiar with the show, I'm a part of it. Yeah, that was, that was a really neat experience. But you know, the, the, the looking for knowledge and wanting to learn, 
I, I do have a big regret is I wish I would have had a chance to go to college. Um, I never had that opportunity. And I, I look now and go, oh, wow, I just so would have loved going to and getting into engineering or some sort of a post high school education. But uh, it wasn't in the cards. It wasn't going to happen. So uh, I know so many people that have that. And I feel so lucky that I got to go to school and probably uh, didn't really earn it or justify it. I mean, I, I studied. I tried as hard as I possibly could. But I, I don't know if I honestly, ha- you know, when I look at someone like you where the world is infinitely discoverable to you, you would have done so great. And you continue to do so great. That's the crazy thing is that the education or a diploma has very little to do with anything beyond, I guess, the jobs you can potentially get, but the things you can do, the things you can learn and make, et cetera, have no, no correlation, I would say. It was kind of neat. We had some, if you, if you want to go out and do it, I wanted to help people with mobility issues. So I used the machine shop knowledge to make adaptable sidecar rigs for people who didn't have use of their legs or arms. We did a, one guy had lost a limb in Afghanistan and he couldn't operate his rear brake. So we did a hand control for his rear brake and control. He linked both his front and rear brake to one lever, was able to redesign that and make it work so this guy could keep riding. So being able to apply different areas to help people that's neat and that's really satisfying so uh yeah he was able to keep riding because we're able to look at his motorcycle and figure okay well you're not going to have that left leg so what are we going to do there well when you come to a stop noted you need to put your right foot on the ground because you don't (laughs) have a left foot so (laughs) let's go there so but sometimes it gets a little embarrassing because i'll see someone in a wheelchair and maybe they don't want to talk about it and here's stupid me going up and saying say uh what's what's the nature here do you have knees because we got knees, you know, that, that's a big edge. We can, there's a lot we can do. Have you ever thought about riding motorcycle? You know, so you see someone in a wheelchair, and my first thing is, hey, would you like to ride motorcycle? We can set this up. <laughs> we can make this happen. And most of the time they go, I didn't invite you to ask me about my knees. I mean, it's jarring. If, even if someone's trying to be kind, if they come over and yeah. get in your business, you're like, no, thank you. I don't want your money. Get away from me. <laughs> and you're trying to give the uh, – you You had a garden last year, the, handing out food to needy families. It, it feels like – let's go back to you as a child. How did all this come to be? Was there just – yeah, it was just always like that. Or what did you see or experience? Was it the being on the outside because you were a little different? Was, was the religious – element a part of it as far as feeling isolated oh boy uh yeah this will get dark in a hurry if we go down this road sure uh, it's too cheery you're you're making stuff for veterans you're handing out free foods too no one lives this <laughs> yeah, life it's too, uh, little it's too free cheery produce stand, little free produce stand.com i started a thing because i know as a gardener you end up with a crazy amount of extra produce and you need to you know, like, geez, I've got 900 zucchinis. What am I going to do with this? Uh, not everyone in town leaves their car doors unlocked. You know, where am I going to get rid of these zucchinis? So we started a little free produce stand where, just like the little free libraries, all over the country now, there are these little produce stands where people, gardeners, put their extra produce, and anyone can just come and grab it as they want. So we're able to just give away all these extra squash, and we had way too many carrots at one point, and give away all our produce. So that was kind of neat. 
But if you want to go back, <clears throat> and feel free to delete this, totally up to you, Dave, <laughs> but I can tell you where things went south for me, and it's real simple, actually. My parents didn't want two children, so they raised my brother as an only child. And I had a, a very dark childhood where I lived, but I was not loved. Jeez, that is pretty dark, man. And then you've I come was, out of it just beaming with love. That that's an equation that it's it's sort of like um energy can't be created or destroyed. It's similar with love and you seem to have just manufactured or manifested love to give to strangers, to veterans, to Well, uh, that's it. I just don't want I don't want other people to repeat what I went through. What, I don't want uh, anyone to at any point grow up as some little kid thinking that you know, what's the future hold? Being told at age 12 that, oh, don't worry about college. You're not going to college. Okay, so if you know you're not going to college, how hard are you going to try in school knowing that your grades are irrelevant? Man, that is just... <laughs> there are certain things that people say, oh, that's heartbreaking, but it's it's so crushing just on a level of like humans, yeah, not great for whatever reason, even just too many of them. There's just too many. I think we all know really pleasant adults, but most kids are pretty, they do something that makes you root for them, want to help them just as a yeah. human compulsion. And so that a parent, and I met your brother, you guys are kind of, you're close, right? You still communicate, right? We communicate. Yep. But you're not like best buddies. Well, I can really like who my parents are now without forgetting who they were. Mm -hmm. So I get along with my brother just fine, but I also don't leave my doors unlocked because <laughs> he has addiction issues and and that's going to be that. And I can't, I can't fix that. But, but they, uh, they loved him. Like he, he didn't. Oh man, he had it all. And Sheesh. Uh, when I was coming out I, there to do that gig, you offered me to stay at your parents' house as sort of. And yeah, I, I get said, along with them very well now. They're fantastic people now. I would have, if I knew this going in, it would have been a tough scenario, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and I, <laughs> I just I found it so neat and um, relatable when it was. Here's how it went down. Dave says, "Hey, I'm going to be doing this show at this club in Denver," and me not knowing any better. Hey, you know, airfare is only like eighty five dollars from Denver to Watertown. You could do do a show here. And Dave says, yeah, "I'll do that." <laughs> I said, well, "I." I hope it goes well. I do do shows here. I put on shows here. And Dave's his exact words were, good or bad, it'll be an experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to go. I mean, that's that's life, right? We got we want to have some stories to tell. And and I and that show was so great. Gino the dog came on stage. You told the whole town, so it was two great crowds. And I believe it was the first crowd the only person that I remember of either show with a um, a hat of the former president, and you know maybe I was expecting more of that. And right behind him, an older lesbian couple who made soap and raised goats or something like that. And oh, they, and I talked to both Anita. of them. Yeah, what they and to give them a plug, two old broads. That's the name of their business, and they make soap and wonderful people. But I have to say, the the guy in the hat was also a pleasant human being, and so to to get to experience those things without these preconceived notions of this is what it's going to be like. 
And I think comedians, musicians, anyone that travels tend to have either the harshest or the most open-minded view of, well, on Twitter, it would have me believe that the the states are arranged this way and people behave this way. And when you're, when you're immersed in it, you're like, it's not exactly as, it's not as contentious in public. It's very contentious digitally, but in public people are different. And maybe that's part of the problem that people can go home and from the safety of their avatar espouse these terrible thoughts. But in public, we can remind each other, hey, this person held the door open for you before they knew how you felt politically. So keep that in mind. Their heart was in, at least at some point, a decent place. Um, but I want to get back to, because <laughs> you, you got into comedy. That's how it you... goes. Every conversation with me, and it wanders off on these tangents. And I'm sorry, Dave. <laughs> I think we've kept it pretty much on the rails. I, I think that it's not a hard uh, trail to travel back to to get to your parents raise your brother. And maybe yeah. that had its own set of circumstances. How old was he when you came along? year and a half okay so you're you guys are at an age where his parents he literally said i at one point i confronted him and i said you know you're so mean to me and you're so nice to him if you didn't want two kids why'd you have two kids and my mother's exact words dave were abortion wasn't legal <laughs> God. i've been I mean, trying to make that into a bit for years but i about break down in tears every time i say it so i have I not worked I haven't been able to work that. And you know me, I get on stage and make jokes about Special Olympics. You yeah. Know? <laughs> but, but, and for people that don't know, you work with Special Olympics because of course you do. You're making apparatuses for veterans. You're giving out free food. You're just filling the world with love. And of course you'd be involved in Special Olympics. So the jokes, and that's, <laughs> that's the thing I always find. I think we talked about this, that I used to work and a number of my friends were special ed teachers. I would, I would sub in special ed quite frank, frequently. And I, one of the jokes on one of my previous CDs I, is the only type of like hate mail I would ever get. And it's from people that don't have a child in special ed or a special needs child. And they're, they're upset with me. But I always felt like I hate that there are groups we exclude. Jokes should include everyone. And that group that, you know, the people involved in Special Olympics or um, mentally challenged individuals or differently abled don't get included. And so that was my way of like, eh, you know, I'm going to really the joke is about special ed teachers. But I, I felt like when you told that joke, there was even though you clarify, like, I'm yep. qualified to do this. People are still not like, qualified, but if they pay attention to every one of the jokes, not not one of them is the individual with the cognitive disability the punchline right the punchline across the board is how much better athletes they are than me <laughs> and 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 uh and i do mock the fact that we have in in bowling they have the handicap scoring system which i always found that Terribly inappropriate when you're having a Special Olympics bowling tournament when everyone's got a handicap number on their <laughs> on their tag. And that always struck me as amusing. And the best audience I ever had was for a group of Special Olympics athletes up in Aberdeen, South Dakota. And it was just such uh, a fantastic. And they got the jokes better than anyone else. And they were able to enjoy it because this all hit home directly for them. So... As you've pointed out, the people that get offended about jokes involving people with disabilities are never the people with disabilities. It's no. other people trying to be kind by defending those with disabilities. 
And without fail, when I've explained this to people, and then they'll think about the actual joke here. What's, who is the brunt of the joke? And the brunt of the joke is that they're way better at basketball than I am. <laughs> I tried out for unified basketball and got my butt kicked. <laughs> <laughs> this this home setup is so perplexing to me because on one level, it's probably giving parents a lot of thoughts that we put so much uh, concern and or thought into, man, you got to do this just right to create a good human, to create someone that's kind, that thinks of other people, that uses their brain. And you don't have to do that at all. I mean, your parents just mailed it in, it seems like, and yet, not to shine your shoes too much, but you, you have a lot of qualities that I think humans would be very excited if they had created that and as a parent and feel like they had some ownership to it. Oh, that's my boy. Yeah, we're lucky. Whereas your parents would be like, oh, that guy? What's his name again? We for- Oh, you li- he won Citizen of the Year? Ah, maybe we'll go to the ceremony. You know, that is so <laughs> weird. It's just... When I had my motorcycle shop, my father didn't bring his motorcycle to me to get repaired. <laughs> he brought it to the shop across <laughs> town. <laughs> did you go to, like, therapy or anything? I mean, how did you work through I these? I should. I really should. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, that Better is... Help, I'm told, is sponsoring a lot of podcasts. <laughs> I mean, it seems like you have a good grasp on it, but they're also... We're from a time... Uh, meaning anyone probably over the age of 15, that it's still becoming more and more uh, acceptable or common to, to, to be vulnerable, to not just shove feelings down and go, ah, what are you going to do? Ah, my parents didn't hug me. Ah, they didn't say I love you. What are you going to do? You know, you, that you can talk to someone, that you can um, maybe find there's a whole community of people that are like, oh, yeah, that whole generation of people I went to a counselor once. I went to a counselor once. And he said, so tell me about you. And I laid it all out. And he sat there and listened to it all. And at the end, he said, wow, that's a lot. (laughs) Okay, our time's done. (laughs) (laughs) And I left. And that was it. You didn't go back? That's a lot. That's it. Yes, it's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I I always want to take the side of therapists in that scenario and that like maybe you just needed to, to talk about it maybe the next visit they'd say now let's i i want to talk yeah. about this or i want to find that out because i'll bet just talking about it even if you were 10 however many years ago thinking of discussing it publicly you'd likely go no 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 way let's change the subject what, what about the the what what's the boring range on a carburetor that's really you, know, you would <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> How many cubic feet per second will that Holly 600 flow? (laughs) (laughs) Those little escapes were those you, when you you had to entertain yourself. I mean, did you have friends? Did you have a pal you could confide in? Just solo, taking apart radios and making stuff. Books, 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 books. And then um, I started, I just loved comedy and I started gathering and how does a joke work and why does a joke work and what's the structure of a joke. And so uh, there's so much of this stuff that's, that's, that crosses over when you look at, you know, how does this carburetor work? How does this motorcycle work? Well, how does that joke work? How does this paragraph, when I was writing, I used to write for several motorcycle publications and it was, well, how does a story work? 
how does a technical article work? So it's the same mindset. So I think there's a lot of people out there who already have this mindset. They're just not using it in the same way because there's fantastic writers out there, um, people who paint, you know, people who sculpt, and it's all the same process. Um, bowlers and dart throwers. The person who's a good bowler tends to be a good dart player. Oh, one's rolling a ball, one's throwing a spiky thing. Yep. <laughs> and yet, either one of those people, a good bowler, can take up golf and be a fantastic golfer, being able to repeat the same physical motions. So the person who can, can do a painting um, and start with the base layer and be able to visualize the finished painting while you're laying down that first brush stroke because you've got to bring it up from the bottom. It's that, that same process with, um, I think it's the same neural pathways as someone who is tearing apart a vintage motorcycle and figuring out how do these gears fit together. If I want it to do this at the rear wheel, how do, what do I need it to do up here at the crankshaft? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just having a conversation uh, recently about how humans need that puzzle-solving element. And it, it manif- manif- manifests in various ways in people, whatever it is, you know, making the sale, making a connection, making, you know, a lot of times it is tactile physical things of this screw going into, oh, cool, I used the right die, and it, it works. Like, it goes into this thread housing or the female end, and screen printing has that where you're trying to do repetitive movements over and over and eliminate these little errors in the margins that if you focus just on them, you pull a screen or print and you go, that's ah, trash. You set it aside and you're like, all right, this one, just move the page over a millimeter this way. You pull it, that's ah, trash. And at the end, when you go look at all of them, you're like, the registration's pretty good. I was so focused on these little errors. And so people that solve puzzles, people that make things out of wood or things that fit into one another or get to work on time or find the right route. We're just constantly needing to see how things work, to see how we can streamline it, make it the most efficient. And someone would be like, oh, I'm all over the place. I don't do that. I, I bet we could find something they do in their life. We're like, you, of course you do. You do it in this way. You know, you think you're like a flighty artist, but you also need to know how that, that whole lifestyle works. And therefore you're doing it this way. And you're a parent without the blueprint necessarily. What did you look to in the movie, the cable guy he's raised by television. So he's constantly referencing sitcoms and things. What did you look to, to say, Oh, this is what you should do. Mostly mistakes. So there's two ways to gain kind of general life knowledge. One is to look towards someone who's done it right and replicate what they did, except they may have just gotten lucky. The next is to look at someone who's done something wrong and say, okay, don't do that. Mm -hmm. So so looking around and see who's winning and who's not winning and try to replicate the behaviors of people that are, who are coming out ahead. Um, And then of course, putting some distance. I moved to Ottumwa, Iowa and Mankato, Minnesota, so that every time I wanted I'd mentioned something. Oh, I'd, I'd really kind of like to be a writer. There wasn't someone in my life saying, well, you can't do that. You have to go to college to be a writer and you can't go to college. Yeah. So I didn't know I couldn't. And that mindset of, I didn't know I couldn't. Once I realized that, then it just opened up everything. So now if there's something that I think I want to try, I don't have any voice. I have an incredibly supportive wife who says, I bet you can do that. That's incredible. And that changes everything. 
That goes back to, though, maybe it's just purely genetics. You know, the fact that she, you found someone that's sort of the polar opposite. You know, people tend to marry an extension of whoever they were most influenced by. So with women, or I guess however you look at it, men, uh, like the Oedipus kind of thing. And then uh, a lot of times you'll find someone who's, here's my wife. And then you meet the mother-in-law. And you're like, this checks out. It's the same person. And <laughs> for you to find someone so different that is positive and supportive, et cetera, it, it just feels like, do you feel lucky or do you feel like I recognize bad behaviors? And that's step one. It's still very hard to implement not doing those behaviors, not repeating it, not replicating what was shown to me over and over and over again. Yeah. And regional culture too. You know, someone says, hey, here's something neat I made. There's, there's a regional culture thing I think that comes into into play that says, you know, oh, look, you could have done better there. So <laughs> my, when my daughter is, she does paintings. Uh, this, can you see this? I cannot. Uh, I can see the bottom of it. Anyway, there's a painting back there. Okay, there. here, I'm going to take a screen grab of that. Oop. Got it. Okay. All right. So she's my 21 year old daughter with special needs and it would be real easy to point out, Oh, the cloud you did here. You didn't quite get the edging quite as nice as you could have. Instead, we're going to concentrate on, wow, this is fantastic. This choice of color and the way the clouds overlay and what you've put together here is just absolutely amazing. I love this. Well, if we go back, the, the tendency of far too many people is to point out what's not perfect on it instead of, focusing on what is perfect about it what is wonderful about it <laughs> and what emotions come out of it so it's rewiring ourselves or did you because getting lathing something to the one millionth degree is a way of saying shut up this is perfect you can't tell me shit about this being a well, little bit of, off this is perfect during the day the the actual production line side of it if a customer wants something held plus or minus ten thousandths of an inch and i've got one of my workers who wants to hold it plus or minus five ten thousandths of an inch i'm going to say no steve because that takes time and we need to get parts out the door so you've got plus or minus ten thousandths if it's off by seven you're good <laughs> <laughs> that's fine <laughs> that is okay, to parts. learn to live i mean that for me i think we're very similar in trying to figure out how to do things that we envision. So if you have a motorcycle that you want to make that has whatever gear to handlebar distribution, whatever it is that, oh, I'm going to put this kind of seat on this sort of chassis and I'm going to make it all work. And at your house, you do have, you have like chariots, you have all kinds of crazy stuff that you've just dreamed up and made. And for me, it's more uh, like, like big nothingness. The thing I made recently was that I, I don't, I don't, I didn't have a studio to help me. So you just start chipping away like, well, what can I make? What can I get done? And yeah. a big part of it is learning the marginal thing you just talked about of acceptable errors to just live with it, to just say, if I take forever and I'm really hard on myself and it has errors, it diminishes the whole project and the whole procedure of making it. Whereas if I know going in, sometimes I'll say that if I'm going to sit down, like sit down and make a piece of you know woodwork or something, I will go and I'll say to myself, there are going to be mistakes and then just start working. It's so helpful to know going in, it doesn't have to be perfect. So maybe it's not a parental thing. It's just a human thing. But it seems like you've done a nice job of 
getting outside of that. I'm not hearing that voice saying, oh, it could have been better. Oh, uh, well, I mean, I'll give you that. Um, <laughs> I tried a project. I tried a project called Comedians and Sidecars Getting Chislick. <laughs> what is Chislick? Chislick is, uh, if you look it up on Wikipedia, it's, its description says, Seldom seen outside the state of South Dakota. Chislick is our official state snack. It is cubes of meat, be it venison or beef, that are fried. So I put these different comics in my sidecar, and we videotaped it, and we rode around. So I had Timmy Williams, and I had Dan Bublitz Jr., and my complete and utter lack of video editing skills. And you're welcome to see it. It's on YouTube and to see how awful it turned out. (laughs) And I got permission from the band Shoot Lucy to use their music for background music. And, and I put it together and I fought it and I struggled with it. And I tried my darndest based on my abilities to put this, (laughs) this prototype comedy parody show together. And at one point I finally had to say, this is as good as I can make it <laughs> because I don't have the skills to go any better. And you can go watch that comedians and sidecars getting chislick. It's on YouTube. And yes, you will be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but and I can watch that now and go, okay, there it is. And yep, I'm not going to try to say it's great. <laughs> That's the worst, sharing something that you, you know, it's not like you machine parts and have to sell your first effort, you know, your first try in a shop ever. And And I could delete it if it was, you know, if I was just terribly embarrassed and and people should expect better from me. Like, no, this is exactly what you should expect from me. (laughs) You'll get better at editing. You'll, you'll, I mean, I had the whole pandemic to really uh, learn a lot more about editing than I knew previously. And I felt like I knew a little bit, but I really explored the depths of like Adobe Premiere and got, and it was just like any other endeavor of learning how to sharpen, uh, you know, hand planes, the blade on them, or like how the frog should be set or the angle, the pitch, all these different things that if you were talking about taking out a carburetor, most people wouldn't even know to start that. And you at one point didn't know how to do that. It's just, everything's the same. So you just, you just displayed or showed something that was your first effort. And that's always a mistake. <laughs> like people that post, here's my first ever try at stand up comedy. Check it out. And you're like, whew, you are yeah. going to really regret that down the road. Yeah. Mine's recorded and locked on <laughs> Facebook or on YouTube. <laughs> like, oh, it's there. No, you can't see it. <laughs> no, no. And, the, but you'll look back. I mean, everyone does where you kind of miss that part of you that didn't know. Cause if you get really good at something, the joy that you get now in firing up your 60 year old lathe and nailing something is probably not the same as it was when you were like, I wonder if I can make this. Yeah. Yeah. I used to make a lot of tops. Uh, here's, here's one. I used to make these tops and just a simple metal tops. Well, hang on. I'm going to get a photo of that too. Photo Ooh. city here today. Uh, right. Yeah. There's good. Cool. Thank you. And I used to make, and I'd spend about the entire month of December making these tops. And they're still fun to make, but boy, when I made that first one and it spun so well, that was a a feeling that I have not, (laughs) I don't really get anymore. (laughs) I make a very similar thing. Again, us being, uh, having some similarities. I make these uh, on a wooden lathe 
wine stoppers so that fruit flies can't get in. You know, some people cram the original cork back in there in between pours, but it's nice to just have something that fits. So you got to like taper down a cork and it's not a difficult process to either make or assemble them. But the first time I was thinking of it, I did have to go, how would I, I'd have to drill this hole to like insert the cork in. And then you very quickly start putting it together. I can, I can just do it this way. I'm sure there's a tutorial somewhere like you do it that way. You're crazy. You have to do it this way. And that's what I love so much about ingenuity and not watching YouTube is you will have something that someone will look at and go, Lee, you make your tops that way. What? No, you're supposed (laughs) to start here and then you pare it down this way. And you're like, I don't know. I've just always done it. And that you might have unique signatures or, or elements to yours that someone would say, oh, that sets yours apart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after a while, even programming on the CNC equipment, I could pick out who, who wrote the program if it was on a lathe. I could, I could see all the little tricks they did on every angle would have a minuscule little radius on the corner. If you're using a 35,000th tool knows they use a 40,000th radius so there's a little 5,000th radius left sitting on the corner of all the chamfered angles and just <laughs> you could pick out signatures tips by how people had machined a specific item all those words the fact that that just sits in your head chamfers and <laughs> it's just so foreign it's such a strange thing to there's this show on amazon called patriot and one of the kind of the gags is they are always describing some sort of valve, like they, they, I don't know what they do. I forget pipe engineering. So they're always talking about multi-flanged valve, particularly you know, they, they're using a lot of chamfered type words you just described as part of a goof to dis- to kind of say, these are things that humans know. This is such a unique niche kind of uh, world. And you just stumbled into it. It'd be one thing if you're like, ah, I took mechanical engineering and like, I don't know, I just ended up in a machine shop, but you, it seemed like you barreled right toward it being in this world. It, was it always a drive to just because you like taking things apart and making them or, or did you just like, no, ideally I wanted to be in a electrical facility, but I ended yeah. up here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really wanted to, uh, eat. <laughs> so, because I, uh, I like eating. No, I was with a tractor supply and that's how I ended up in Ottumwa, Iowa. I was running a tractor supply store. And then when they fired me, <laughs> I, I was uh, homeless because I had no income. So I moved back up here and got a job working at a Ford dealership as a service writer. And a, a guy came in and he needed his rear windshield uh, heater because the windows freeze up up here (laughs) and he needed that serviced and yeah he liked how i handled his service claim on his rear window defroster on his ford escort and he (laughs) says hey you ever want to get out of here we could sure use a guy with your attention to detail over here at the machine shop and they were offering like three dollars an hour more than i was making so (laughs) i worked over the machine shop you know first chance i got and then after that it was just deciding do i want to learn what we're doing or do i just want to punch the clock each day and it sure makes the day go better if you if you get into it yeah yeah that, and that's maybe that's a whole societal thing keeping humans less educated less engaged cuz they'll just buy stuff and they won't think can i make this on my own and then as an employer probably the same thing you know how many companies could you really run where you're like well, I can teach people who work here everything and they'll still be useful. Or will they just learn this code and go write a better version of what I'm 
what I'm doing and, and compete against me. So keeping people, hey, hey, don't look in here. I used to work in an Italian restaurant in college. Wouldn't let us see how they made the secret ingredient that went into the dough. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> like we were going to take off and share it or make our own bread and sell it on the side of the yeah. road or something. But there's a feeling that like that trickles down. To, you don't want people to be that intelligent. You don't want them to know what you're doing. But in a place where you work, it would seem like it would behoove the whole company if everyone was on the same page knowing what you're doing. Yeah, getting finding people who want to learn and want to be engaged and, and, and want to become machinists and not just machine operators. You know, So I've got a sign on the front of my garage that says, no, I will not work on your motorcycle. <laughs> the people roll up in my driveway when they see all the motorcycles, and I'll invite them in and said, but I'll show you how. And mm-hmm. I'll show you the difference between a shim over bucket valve and a shim under bucket valve or even a desmodromic valve. And I'll show you how to do it yourself so that even if you choose to pay someone to do the work for you, you'll know exactly what it is you're paying for. I have in my family tree, I think it was my grandfather's cousin. He had a couple. He had a brother who, uh, this is pre-encryption and software. This is you know, written down. You couldn't couldn't run the risk of someone being abducted and their body searched and finding written down codes and things. So he was, I guess the Department of Defense, I don't know, some faction of the government would fly him to take these f- facility tours and look at specs on maybe, you know, things they were putting on planes and things like that. And he would have to come back and regurgitate them. They're using a rivet this size, the wingspan is this long, the air, air flows this. He would just have it in his head. So he was a bit of a savant. And then he died of a heart attack very young because I think the stress of that would be immense. And then uh, he had an, a, maybe a cousin who worked in a part shop and he would get in their car and go, oh, like sort of like Rain Man. Oh, you've driven 19,281 miles since I last saw you. Things like this. He, he worked in the part shop and they would say, hey, I need a – a fan belt for a, you know, 63, whatever it's uh this is a part number. And he'd go, Oh yeah, that's an eight, three, six, Oh one. I think you have it written down wrong. And he'd walk back and know exactly where it was and grab this belt and come back. And people were like, are you, where are you looking? Is there a book or something? He had the whole store memorized. Is this something that's in your genetics or does this feel like it's just a complete randomness? This, and I know we equated it to like, yeah, people know sports or people know Star Wars. This is way different. So is it? I don't something- know. I know a guy who knows every manhole cover, uh, access point, and storm sewer in the city of Watertown. <laughs> Memorized. He worked for the city of Watertown, and you can mention where intersection, and he'll tell you within the, within six inches where every manhole cover is. And, and storm sewer, you know, I mean, this was his, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, down First Avenue, there's a, there's a manhole cover about six inches off center line. <laughs> we have a heck of a problem with that one. <laughs> you know? And he starts talking about those transition points between asphalt and concrete as it switches. Why is Highway 81 uh, 30 mile an hour? But 19th Street's 35, and 19th Street's narrower than Highway 81. Well, you see the drainage on that street. You know? <laughs> and he's just, Jim, Jim is his name, and he's applied and has this incredible knowledge of the substructure of the, of the sanitary <laughs> sewers and the storm sewers Whew. for the entire city. He's got memorized. 
It's such a sitcom character. And I guess everyone has to know something. People are filling their brains with useless pop culture information. What does any of it matter? But imagine getting dropped off on the planet. And some people know about the plants or the animals. Or some people know astronomy and they can tell... They could drop them off and they could look up at the night sky and tell what hemisphere they were in. They could give a rough estimation as to what season it was. And then someone else would be like, I know every manhole cover in this little town <laughs> in the we Midwest. We need to get into the stu- sewers. I'm your guy. <laughs> oh, you guys trying to get in the sewers? Follow me. Like, Trust me. He's the guy. Let's go. Yeah. Oh, man. I hope you write a movie or something where he is a pivotal <laughs> character. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Lee, this was a delight, man. What a, what a treat. I uh, learned a little bit more about you as a person, a little bit more about... What are you working on current, before we get out of here? What's, what's a project beyond just the 3D printing? I'm sure you have something where you're building a... You also yeah. might be a guy we should keep an eye on where you're making like a rocket or something in your garage. <laughs> no, I found someone that bought a wood stove, a pot-bellied stove and never assembled it. So it's about a hundred year old pot belly stove I found rotting in a, in a tree belt behind someone's house that had never been assembled. So I'm attempting to assemble a pot bellied stove from nothing. From, Are you a pot belly meaning that it's pot metal? See, it's hard to weld? Um, no, it's its shape. It's, it's a heating stove rather than a cooking stove. So it's tall and cylindrical and then they tend to make it kind of bulbous so that uh, for rigidity curves are stronger than s- straight flat surfaces mm-hmm. so yeah this is all made out of cast iron and it's a couple hundred pieces it's, so it's a neat jigsaw puzzle that i don't know what it looks like when it's complete so i have to kind of stare at each piece and try to figure out how it all comes together and perfect try to make it into a, a wood stove that if it's a lot of it because it's been laying in the dirt this whole time um might not be savable, so it might end up being a piece of garden decoration when I'm done. We'll, we'll <laughs> no. see. I'm certainly not going to heat my house with a pot-bellied wood stove. Uh, uh, natural gas is fantastic stuff. So <laughs> Maybe you'll build a little cabin out in the woods or something, though, and then that stove yeah. will be useful. You, that's how sometimes those sort of brains work. Well, I've had to build the cabin. I found the stove. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think what else is out in the garage right now. Um, I'm shipping a whole bunch of motorcycle parts to Europe. A guy came through and he ships motorcycles back to Europe that are rare over there. So I've got about a half a semi trailer full of motorcycle parts that we're loading up to go to Ireland. Wow. Good Lord. (laughs) Just a uniquely fascinating. uh, Well, I'm gathering up all the stuff. I have carrots that I grew this year and, and here's, hold on. Uh, horseradish. I grew all this horseradish, so I'm going to be on a cooking show coming up uh, next Thursday night. Going to get a photo of your horseradish. Didn't know where it came from or how it was made. Oh, it's just a root. Interesting. It's just a root, and if you... Wait, hang on. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Hold it there for a second, would you? Got it. Okay. Yeah. If you've had um, uh, shrimp sauce... That's horseradish and ketchup to make shrimp sauce. Oh, that I knew. Step ahead of you there, friend. I know how to make that. Uh, but I've I didn't know. Antelope. We're going to cook some antelope and make some horseradish sauce. And uh, it'll be a neat uncooking show with my buddy Timmy Williams. We're going to do a cooking show. Awesome. Love Timmy. Hilarious dude. 
And so I think I mentioned this to him 50 times. So bizarre, you know, that I know him from comedy, from the television, and then to be doing a show in Watertown, South Dakota, and he's like, hey, I'm going to open. I was just like, (laughs) what? It was just... What I a, that was one of the funniest things. Yeah, that was great. He and I have done shows together in the past, so we knew each other. But uh, yeah, that what a I mean, that was a, such a nice surprise because I I think he's so funny. And then he's just there's something about ego too, or a, a million other elements that you know he he was on television like oh, okay that part of my life is changed. I had a child. I'm I'm going back to the small town where I know people. I'm just going to work and not feel like oh I I. Where are the offers? Call my agent. Fire my agent. Fire someone new. Get, you know, he just kind of went with the flow and a, a very likable person to be around. And yeah, they're just finishing up their movie. They made an animated movie. Yeah, yeah. Terrible about Trevor. You know, I I just feel like the, the emotional toil those guys are going through. But I'm excited for the movie and that uh, they all got together to make one last thing. If people listening don't know, the whitest kids you know, so funny and so kind of a, an unsung group and part of their story lives in Watertown, South Dakota, where you currently are. And you make horseradish, you, you <laughs> fix old pots, you 3d print, you I send machine you stuff. Syrup? Yeah. We're just about done. I've been very judicious <laughs> with, we've rationed it cause it's so good. Well, isn't it amazing though, how different maple syrup tastes on a South Dakota maple tree than say a Vermont or a New Hampshire maple tree. They're very, very different. You'd think a maple tree is a maple tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yours, no. I don't know how I would describe it. It almost just feels airier, lighter. It's sort of like wispier. It's very, it's not tart or sweet or like too sweet. It's very, I, I prefer it, I think. Some of the other stuff gets a little, I don't know what the term would be. Maybe the viscosity is different or something, but I like it. Yeah, I don't boil it down as far as I could. You know, I could boil it and steam off just that much more water. I just amazed, and I do ash trees too. If you've got a deciduous tree, drill a hole in it. <laughs> get, get something for your pancakes. So you do that. You do you solder? Do you do you own a soldering iron? Uh, yeah, of course everyone's got a soldering iron. But you know, I do have a, a wire feed welder, and I built a um, an English wheel using three point hitch balls. <laughs> So, you know, you've got a, an ag background. You just know those, those circular clips. Oh, noises. yeah. Two-inch yeah, ball so, for life. So, so, yeah, I know. I built, a, I built an English wheel so I could make my own fenders and stuff. <laughs> so we can you can roll the sheet metal through there. through the, And you can make all the curved surfaces now. Yeah, why wouldn't you? Everyone's done that. I bet most people, like, <laughs> go over to your neighbor's house. I'm so sorry. Do you have an English wheel made out of... Trailer, trailer hitch oh, balls. fingers are working. I'd really like to mash them between two steel wheels. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope the next time we talk, you have even more bizarre interests. And they're not even hobbies. I think they, they propel you. They're like uh, the energy source that drives you along. If you didn't have them and or a new one or some new thing to train your brain on, it would uh, you would you would just poof, turn into like a piece a cloud of dust <laughs> uh but yeah i will uh send you a link to uh the Miss richard Feynman book Appreciate and then um uh, thanks for making time this was really fun to do and um come back and do it again yeah hopefully uh your listeners at least are at least mildly confused if you're interested at all in keeping up with a weirdo from south dakota just real lee bruns on twitter real lee bruns b-r-u-n-s uh, L-E-E, standard spelling of Lee. 
and go visit Watertown. Not very enjoyable place. I, I enjoyed my time. It's uh, like an idyllic, small Midwest town, train, grain silos, wide streets, trees, real peaceful feel of life happening there. Cool old downtown. Yeah. I like The Chipfield Covered Road. I remember you were fascinated that we covered our roads in tar and crushed granite regularly. Yeah, that was really something. A lot of... <laughs> Yeah, when you bring someone uh, into your, you know, habitat for the first time, they, they marvel at the strangest things. You're like, what are you, what's getting you going? Look at the road. <laughs> like, oh, I, we never think about the road. I can't get over it. Oh. <sighs> anyway, this was great. Thanks, Lee. <laughs> Good to see you again, Dave. <laughs> you too. Well, how how emotional was it? Too emotional for you? I don't think so. I think it brings up a whole lot of interesting um just elements about nature and nurture and humanity. But I will say if it's good to know in a weird way that you can, that someone like, like Lee can just show up even if you don't maybe nail it as a parent. So if you're, if you are a parent and you're worried that you're going to screw them up, this was a great episode for you because they're just going to kind of be who they are. And if you're lucky, they are someone who cares about people who, tries their best to maximize the gifts they are given and is always pursuing something interesting or new. They're challenging their mind, being creative, using their imagination, and so on. So anyway, thanks again to Lee. A pleasure to have him on the show. And there was like 10 minutes afterward that we chatted that I recorded. I may plop into the Patreon. So if you're not a subscriber there yet, this show is brought to you by contributions from listeners just like you. The Adobe Creative Suite that is used to edit and put together all the sketches, as well as the episodes that Dan doesn't do. Uh, that's all stuff that requires as much assistance as possible, so I appreciate any that you uh, are willing and or able to contribute. And if times are tough, I get it. We are still dealing with, at this point, the Omicron variant. So totally understood if you had to back out from being a patron and or you just don't have the discretionary funds currently. If that's the case, forget about it. But if you do, we'd love to have you aboard. We're, we're trying to get back up toward 50. I don't think we've ever gotten over 50 patrons. So that's the next goal. If you're thinking about it, maybe this is the week. Um, and I just did a whole, for the, for the $10 crowd and up, this is, this is premium stuff, but I went through the whole making of big nothingness, which I might take down. If you haven't listened to it yet, I recommend doing it soon because it's just too vulnerable. I don't like talking about that sort of stuff. I feel like, uh, I end up, uh, divulging too much and or saying things where I'm like, eh, I don't, I don't really feel that way. So that might be, uh, a limited time thing. So if you haven't listened to it, check that out. Okay, last episode, I was mentioning people who have come in to contact uh, just by being around the show or interested or willing to come support things like The Junk Show or showing up at a stand-up show. And I forgot to mention uh, Krastovsky. We've played a bunch of music of throughout the duration of this show. We'll do more in the future. And in fact, his song, Mental Green, gets played at the end of all the Patreon bonus episodes. So that's another great reason to be a patron. Uh, Matthew Clement out of Ohio did one of the logos. I think it's the Facebook logo for the show. Uh, talented artist, great, great fellow. Has been to the junk show more times than some of my close friends who lived in Los Angeles 
And he was just visiting from Ohio when he would come to the show. So anyway, to those of you who have become a part of this little world of the Space Cave, I hope you have a great holiday season. And those of you who are maybe new to the show, I've probably lost you at this point. I've rambled on way too much after what I thought was an invigorating conversation. If I haven't, though, I hope you also have a great holiday. Um, I think this is the end of Hanukkah, so I hope you had a great Hanukkah. And I hope the rest of the year goes smoothly for you. And we talked so much about motorcycles during this episode, I felt it only fitting to play this song by Liz Cooper. It's got some swears in it, so if you're sensitive to that type of language, just a heads up, a warning. But it's called Motorcycle. I hope you like it. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. Take me for a ride, ride on you.